There's a movie, uh, a number of movies out there called Dumb and Dumber. I, um, I have titled for this introduction, Dumb Dog, Dumber Owner, but I don't think that's very gracious to my dog. So on Friday afternoon, my dog Sochi was going a little crazy out on the deck. She obviously had kind of sensed something underneath the deck, and uh, she was smelling it out and, and barking at it, and kind of it would move, and she would move, and it would move. And um, so I decided, you know, it's time to give Sochi a little bit of an adventure, right? And, and I'm thinking, we got a darn groundhog under our deck again. Last time a groundhog had taken up residence there, it actually went under one of our cars and chewed up some of the wiring. So I was, I was ready to be done with groundhogs under our deck. And I thought, what else do you have a dog for but to chase groundhogs out from underneath your deck? So sniffing and not smelling any skunk smell, I thought, okay, we got a groundhog here. So... And many of you, this is the point where you start saying to yourself, why would I ever listen to this guy preach on a weekly basis? (laughs) I go over to the uh, lattice screening on the outside of the deck, and I kind of pull it back a little bit. I'm like, Soch, 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 go get it. (laughs) Yeah, so about a minute later, Sochi comes crawling out, rubbing her face, on the grass, and I become overcome with this fog of skunk smell. And I am like, I am an idiot. (laughs) That that would be okay. I you know, I'll take the I'll take the penalty of washing Sochi up, you know, five times in the yard to put up with that. But somehow I think it was probably when I fled into the house through the, the patio door or something like that, that smell managed to spread throughout the entire house. Um, I think uh, my, in, in my son Emmett's terms, uh, the next day he walked in the door and he said, not going to lie, still smells terrible, I might go sleep at the Corhorns. Now, in my defense, in my defense, I did grow up in East Tennessee, all right? And somehow in my thinking, when something like that is going on, it's like, what else do you have a dog for, right? Every dog's a coon dog in East Tennessee. So this morning, we're looking at how to live with a dunderheaded husband, because I know that you should have great sympathy for my wife and my family here. Now, so I had a picture in mind of what was going to happen. I had a picture in mind of what I wanted to happen. Sochi had a picture in her mind, I'm sure, of what she thought would happen. And this skunk was probably thinking, you know what? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I had an idea of what I wanted to happen, what I thought should take place, but something very different took place, something not very good. 
At that moment of decision, I, had, I have wished a, a, so many times that I could return to that moment of like waving Sochi over to this opening and stopped and thought, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe I should just be patient, put a live trap out. You know, then if it, when it's the skunk in the live trap, I would be sitting in there thinking, I am so glad that I didn't send my dog under there. Now what do I do with this skunk, of course? But it would have been a better spot if I had only been patient. Maybe I should have asked Kelly what she thinks first. I don't plan on asking Kelly what she thinks for several weeks uh, at this point. No, I, I have to say, Kelly has been amazingly gracious uh, with this. I, I've told her that. I have uh, said several times, how could I be so dumb? This morning, we're looking at how we can obtain discernment from the Lord, along with what else that he gives us. And we learn from our passage here this morning, a passage that we all know very well, but a lot of times we read these verses and we think, this is what I need. This is what I should do. This would be the outcome if God gave me this. Or this would be the outcome if God did this for me. But obviously, uh, just like Kelly would have had infinitely more wisdom than I did in this moment, God's infinite wisdom, knowledge, presence. He knows just what we need, what is best for his glory and for our good. Overall, from these verses, though, I want, to pers- I want to challenge you to pursue the good stuff. And I hope from this message you'll understand what I mean by that. We read, uh, joining back into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, looking this morning at 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or I should say, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? These these verses are often used to teach that God is going to give us whatever we ask him. And maybe if he doesn't, the problem is that we just don't have enough faith. Or, Or maybe we haven't asked in the right way. Or or maybe we just haven't asked enough. But I want to challenge you this morning not to settle for the stuff that you want. The stuff that you long for. The stuff that you think, I know how it's going to, I think I know how it's going to turn out if I get this. If God does this. I want to challenge you to pursue what God desires for you. Hopefully it's a, it's a comfort for you to know that he is only going to give you what is best for you. So moving back to the first part of our passage here, 
the idea here is pursue the good that God desires for you. Pursue the good that God desires for you. As I mentioned, these verses are often thought to teach that God is going to give us whatever we want. So, so are, are these verses telling us that God is our genie? Right? That, that he, uh, he's just waiting to grant our wishes? No. But it, it's common for us to think that about him. That's why we come up with stories like Aladdin's lamp. I'm not saying from this, like, like if that were the idea, uh, it would be common, the, 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 the thought would be, so don't waste your wishes on something that's bad for you. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm saying God is going to respond to our asking, our seeking, and our knocking with what is best for us. So we're on, if you recall, we, we were last in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jeff preached last week, and we didn't have church the, the, the uh, week before that because of a crazy storm that came through the area and knocked out power. But So we're coming back here to the Sermon on the Mount, and we're, we're here at this point in which the context teaches us we need wisdom. We need wisdom from God to navigate obedience, especially to navigate obedience in relationships. Relationships where it would be easy for us to be judgmental or condemning. And relationships in which it would be easy for us to be enabling or appeasing. Recall from, from the last time we were here, the points that we came across with was, don't be condemning, be helpful. Coming from verses 1 through 5 where we were told, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. We were, we were looked at how we need to avoid prideful condemnation. But instead, pursue humble helpfulness. Remember, it's like, how can you help your friend who's got a speck in their eye when you got a log in your own? First, take the log out of your own eye of judgmentalness, of pride, then you can help. We looked at how we need to not waste what's valuable, but be discerning. You know, Jesus go, follows up telling us, judge not, with a, a pretty judgmental statement where he says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. We talked about how it's so easy in relationships to be enabling, to be uh, appeasing, to use what God has given to us that is, is used, should be used for glorify Him, what is valuable, and to offer it to those who don't appreciate it in the hopes that they'll just back off maybe. So what is being said here? In our verses here this morning, the context that, that we've just kind of been reviewing here, the context highlights our need for discernment in our relationships. Avoid being judgmental, enabling, or appeasing. And there's definitely an element of the need for wisdom in those relationships in the verses that we are looking at here this morning. 
Much like James 1.5 where we're told, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. That's kind of the same situation that Jesus has us in thinking about in this, at this point in the Sermon on the Mount. So I believe when we are told, ask, seek, knock, the context, the first context that, that we are in here is in those difficult relationships. So I want to challenge you. Let's dig into these verses, pointing out first that we should be actively, and I want to challenge you, actively appeal for God to carry out his will for you. Actively appeal to God for him to carry out his will for you. We're told, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. These verbs, ask, seek, knock, they are commands. And they are commands in the present tense. And this means, do them continuously, persistently. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. We must continually seek God's wisdom and direction for our relationships. Warren Wiersbe understands it this way in this context of difficult relationships when he writes, You and I are human and fallible. We make mistakes. Only God can judge perfectly. Therefore, we must pray and seek his wisdom and direction. We have no need to look at the stars. We have no need to, to see what the omens are. To, to, to roll the dice, you know, roll out the bones and try to interpret them. To see, okay, what, what, is, what are the gods or what is our God telling us to do here? God is saying, come to me for wisdom. Come to me for direction. Ask me. Keep seeking it. Keep knocking. It's about relationship with him. It's all about talking with him, walking with him. So God's design is for you to come to him as our father to know his will. You know, in a hospital setting or any sort of medical setting, nurses carry out the orders of doctors all right so so nurses assess a need and maybe you know oftentimes you know the doctor's not there by your bed the nurse is coming in and checking your vitals and and checking uh to see how you're feeling see how you're doing and and sometimes when some when the nurse perceives that something needs to be done or if the doctor said okay you know keep track of this the nurse will will contact the doctor to get an order and the order is give this medication or start this, this um, process. And I've got to be careful that I don't go too far here. My family says I think I'm a doctor. And so I've got to be weary of that. And so I'm both a, you know, a varmint getter and a doctor here this morning. Um, shows about how well I do. Sometimes this might mean calling the doctor at home even. You know, if the hospitalist or something isn't available. To get that order. Similar, we are to take the needs that we have, especially in those difficult relationships, we are to take them before the Lord, 
asking, seeking, knocking with persistence for what he desires, how he desires us to live. We're to wait for him and for his clear direction. It's not uncommon that a nurse would find an irritated voice on the other end. Kelly told me at times, at different times, that there were some doctors that she and the other nurses on the floor, it's like, oh, I got to call him. I got to wake him up. That's even worse. Well, we're reassured from our passage that God is never irritable, annoyed, or unsympathetic. Because of this, you can actively trust God's will for you. You don't have to sit there like, oh, did I catch him at a bad time? If I come, if I come and ask him too many times, is he getting irritated with me here? <coughs> and this is what we're told by Jesus. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or which of you asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to good give good gifts to your children. Now, I, I just got to say something to that evil term here. Evil throughout the Sermon on the Mount is a term that means um, unwhole, broken, separated. Um, and, and godliness throughout the Sermon on the Mount is understood as to be made whole. And so I'm not quite sure why we come up with this evil here. But, I mean, it is, a, it is a term that's also used for the devil at times. But the root behind it is broken. You who are broken. If you doctors, or I'm sorry, not you doctors, you fathers who are broken, living in a broken world, who are having trouble discerning what is right and wrong, if, if, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the, throughout, uh, this is a, a Hebrew line of argument. I think it's called a priori or something like that in Latin. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, it's used. And in the book of Matthew, it's, if this is so, then how much more would not God be this? Or how much more would not God do this? And that's the argument being made here. Like a good teacher, Jesus illustrates why his followers are free to ask God for what they need. Think of the situation in terms of what we know God has revealed. Think of ways that he has already taught us how to live and how to love. Once again, Jesus reminds his listeners that his teaching comes from their heavenly father. And God answers their prayers no differently. And he's answering them in how to live and how to love. And sometimes he's like, read the book. And that's what we should do. Bread and fish are the most common foods around the Sea of Galilee at this time. A common round loaf of bread would look like a useless stone. Or a common eel-like fish, eel-like catfish of, of the Sea of Galilee could look similar to a poisonous snake. And the fact, that it's, is, the fact is this, that no well-meaning, though sinful dad would respond to his child's needs with something useless 
like a stone or harmful like a snake. And how much more, this how much more argument that Jesus is letting us is that we can trust God so much more even than that. It's going to answer how our prayers, he is going to answer our prayers with the good stuff. The good stuff is not necessarily what we want, but what we need. The good stuff of wisdom for doing his will. The good stuff of growing in Christ. The good stuff of being prepared for future challenges. As well as so much more. So pursue the good that God desires for you. And pursue that good that he desires from you by asking for wisdom in relationships and all else as well. To be seeking his will for how he would have for us to live. To be persistent in calling out to him to come to our aid. We're to, ask, we're to trust that God responds to his children and answers his requests in accordance with his will. And as a loving earthly father wouldn't respond to his son with cruelty, God responds even more lovingly to his redeemed children. You know, different people are going to have different definitions of the good stuff, right? You know, I, I might go to uh, Home Depot with somebody that's going to help me uh, with something around my house because that's usually what I need. And they might uh, point to Gorilla Glue adhesive, you know, construction adhesive there on the, on the shelf at at Home Depot and like, okay, that's what we're going to get. That's the good stuff. All right? So Gorilla Glue, construction adhesive. Get a tube of that. You know, but then my wife Kelly, uh, when it comes to hand lotion, she wants to get, for her, the good stuff is utter cream. Right? And she's figured out Walgreens used to carry it. Walgreens didn't carry it anymore. So now we get it off of Amazon, that sort of stuff. Tubes of utter cream. That apparently is the good stuff when it comes to hand lotion. Now, what ha- would happen if Kelly were to say, hey, my hands are dry. Give me the good stuff. And I'm like, okay, get me co- let me get my cock gun out. You know, squirt that onto her hands. That's not going to work very well. Those hands are going to be stuck for quite a while. We all have different definitions of what the good stuff is. God's definition is perfect. God's response to our asking, our seeking, our knocking is perfect. Our job is to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, to keep learning, to keep growing. Jesus isn't saying here that our Heavenly Father is going to give us whatever we want. Jesus is saying that our Heavenly Father is going to listen to our request and give us what we need. When Jesus teaches this in the Gospel of Luke, he highlights the, the primary way that God responds to these requests. He says in Luke eleven thirteen, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? To those who ask him. You know what that tells me? That tells me that 
the best stuff coming from God is his Holy Spirit. Is God himself walking with us through the situation? Is God himself guiding us, leading us, convicting us, changing what it is that we wanted from the situation? And the first and foremost, this means asking God the, res- the, the request that God first and foremost will respond to is the request for salvation. God is not going to say to us, sorry, you weren't one of the first 15 callers. When a person who is separated from God because of our sin, because of what they have done, thought, said, that falls short of God's glory, and we are told in the scriptures that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're also told that the wages, what we deserve for that sin is death. That's what Romans 6.23 tells us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when a person comes asking, seeking, knocking, requesting that God would turn from their judge to be their father again, to redeem them. He responds with yes. He responds with yes. From that point, these verses then that we've been looking at describe the relationship with God that the person is able to walk in as our heavenly father, not our genie, as our loving, capable, all-knowing, Heavenly Father. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I pray similarly to Paul that we are all dumb and I am the foremost of all. I thank you, Lord God, that you don't move smarter people up in the queue that nobody gets to jump the line. I thank you, Father, that when you're reminding us of just how sinful we are, you're reminding us of just how gracious you are. Lord, if you just gave us our status of being your child, if you just gave us Salvation, if you just gave us rescuing us from hell and an eternal destiny in heaven to just like sing in your choir or something, that would be so gracious. But amazingly, Lord, you give us infinitely more because you give us relationship with you. And you give us problems. You give us needs. You give us frustrations. You give us disappointments. You give us experiences in this sinful world that drive us to ask you and seek 
your will and knock on your throne room door for the wisdom, for the power, for the grace to walk through whatever it is that you bring our way. Thank you so much for being our Father. Thank you so much for the indwelling Holy Spirit who seals us in you. Thank you, Lord God, for a day-by-day relationship with you that we can live in. Lord, I pray that this week we would be able to live it more to the fullest and more abundantly. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.